You're listening to a sermon from Church of Christ at Treaty. For more resources, check out cctreaty.org. Treaty was established in 1904. There was a large statue of Jesus that was erected at the Andes Mountains. It was on the border between Argentina and Chile, and I think we have a picture of it up here if you take a look at it. But this uh, monument, this statue is called Christ the Redeemer of the Andes. The statue symbolizes a pledge that was made between the two countries, Chile and Argentina. And they said that as long as this statue stands, there will be peace between Chile and Argentina. Well, shortly after they put the statue up in 1904, the Chileans began to get upset and start to protest that they had been shorted or slighted because the statue had its back, the back of Christ, was facing Chile. And so when tempers were the highest over this tension about why did Jesus face one country and not the other, it was a newspaper writer who saved the day. They wrote an editorial in the paper that not only satisfied everybody but made them laugh. The newspaper writer simply wrote this in the newspaper, the reason that the statue of Christ faces Argentina is because the people of Argentina need more watching over than the people of Chile. So Jesus had to keep a closer eye on Argentina, they said, and it was amazing how just that statement resolved some of the tension and the conflict. As we open up the word today, it's amazing to me how prone to conflict human beings are. We can find excuses or reasons to argue and fight literally about just about anything. If you pick up a newspaper, almost every single story is going to be about conflict. Um, You're always going to find conflict between people, different people groups, nations, denominations, and sadly churches oftentimes where we should be noted for the peace of Christ. Often churches are the places that are marked with the most conflict. We hear reports we read about on a regular basis, denominational disputes or divisions or splits in denominations. Most of us have observed or been a part of, at some point in our life, a fight within the local church. The conflict might have been over something simple, might have been over something ridiculous, like what color carpet we should have, whether or not we should have coffee served or donuts, whether we should use instruments, or it may have been over something that was a big deal, something that was actually important, like removing somebody from a leadership position, or boundaries, or a specific practice that we're engaging in. But equally tragic, in addition to all of these conflicts, We face these same conflicts, not just in churches and in our countries, but oftentimes in our families and in our homes with the people that we love the most. Personal families, individual close-knit families are often fraught with emotions, hurt feelings, broken relationships, divorce, splits. And so where do we turn to help, to find help in managing and overcoming conflict? That's where we're going to be today. Paul, for the next couple weeks, is going to address the idea how we handle conflict. We're going to see today how Paul addresses directly the cause of the conflict in Rome, specifically. And how if we have love in action, which is what we've been talking about, love that acts towards others, it actually can lead us to peace and to harmony in the church, just like it did in Rome. And we'll learn that the church in Rome was divided into two groups. You're going to see Paul use the language, he says, those who are weak and those who are strong in the faith. 
Paul uses the term those who are weak and those who are strong. Although we don't know exactly every detail about what was causing the division in Rome, in the church, Paul is going to mention a few conflicts, things like eating meat, um, things like observing holy days, special days, things like drinking wine. But at the core of all of the conflict, it appears to be a question of observing the Jewish law. And again, if we go all the way back to the beginning of our series, we're reminded that the conflict was about the Jews returning to Rome to their church and saying, this does not look anything like it used to look, right? And how many of us do we go somewhere? Maybe you go to college or you move away and you come back and you're like, that does not look like my grandma's church or the church that I grew up in. It just looks so different. And they are conflicts that they're having over the observance and how to continue to or whether they should observe the laws that the Jewish people believed. So to clarify, before we dive in, when Paul refers to the weak, um, this was something that I actually learned uh, and, and was interesting to me as I studied this because I always believed when Paul was talking about the weak and the strong in the faith, he was talking about immature Christians, weak Christians, Christians who hadn't been Christians very long. And then he was talking about the strong, the people who had grown up in the church and the people who had read their Bible every day, or the people who went to church all the time, but that's not in fact what Paul's doing when he talks about this. He's referring to the weak in the faith as mainly the Jewish Christians. It doesn't have anything to do with the intensity of their faith. It's about the Jewish Christians who couldn't bring themselves to abandon all of the laws and all of the requirements that they had observed their whole life. So the weak in the faith are those, according to Paul, who have all these traditions and laws that they'd grown up with that they just cannot wrap their head around how it might actually not matter. Well, ever since I was a kid, we weren't allowed to do this. You weren't supposed to do this. And Paul's saying that that's the attitude of the Jewish Christians, those who he refers to as weak in the faith. The strong in the faith, Paul's referring to the Gentile Christians mainly, who felt no need to observe the law. The other extreme, the people who are like, the law isn't for us anymore. These were the people who didn't need to observe the law. What the, the weaker people would say, you can't do that, he, these people would say, why not? They would say, well, we've, we're not supposed to do that. We've never been allowed to do that. And the, the strong in the faith, Paul's saying, are the Gentiles who were saying, that, that doesn't, you're not bound by that anymore. These were people like Paul who might have been Jewish Christians or Gentiles in some way, but they did not feel obligated to continue to follow all of the Jewish laws, all of the Jewish requirements and traditions. So in other words, the weak that we're going to look at today are the ones who conservatively think that something is wrong when it might not actually be wrong. I want us to think for just a second about that about things that we have always believed or always thought or things that we've always held or our parents told us um, from little things to big things that we're just like, that, we can't do that, we can't do that, we can't do that. And, and we conservatively just believe that it's wrong and it's not actually wrong. Like there's not actually anything wrong with it. And the ones that Paul refers to as strong, they know that it's not wrong and so they do it. And so you can see the tension of people who are like, no, 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 we can't do that. And then the other Christians who are saying, there's nothing wrong with that. Let's go do it, right? Um, and we can kind of feel that tension. But unfortunately, the church and the Christians in Rome were criticizing and condemning each other and fighting and dividing over all of these things. The weak ones, the weak in the faith, not weak like strength, but the weak in the faith were constantly condemning the other people for just not regarding the laws of God. I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you're doing that. That's not okay. Why are you doing that? 
And the ones who were strong kept looking down on them and going, you guys are so legalistic. Just give it up. It's not that big of a deal. And they were uh, looking down on the weak while the weak were looking up in judgment at the strong. And the strong were looking down on the weak for just clinging to the old ways. Just get over it. The new ways are here. And we're going to see how Paul actually doesn't necessarily side with either one. But he does push us to consider being strong, why he uses that language, being strong in the faith. But his goal isn't to say that the strong is better. His goal is to get them to stop criticizing and condemning each other and to accept each other with a spirit of love and unity. And if we get nothing else out of today, can we walk out of here and agree to disagree on some of the nonsense? Amen? Because we don't need help in this world being divided. And so Paul's message is, if they're weak in the faith, so what? Right? If they're strong in the faith, so what? We come together with a spirit of unity and a spirit of love, ultimately seeking Jesus. Let's open up the word. Starting in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 14, Paul says this, Accept, big word right there, accept the one whose faith is weak. Without quarreling over disputable matters. Key phrase we're going to talk about. Disputable matters. That's important. Verse 2, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. That's not my faith, by the way. Um, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. We could just stop there and walk out of here. Right? For the one who does eat vegetables only, we don't look down on that. And for the one who eats everything, we don't look at them and dispute over things that don't matter. While Paul wants both of the groups to accept each other, he is clearly most concerned about their attitude of the strong because he starts out and he corrects the strong first, reflecting that the strong, the Gentiles, might be the dominant group. At that time, that was the larger group. That was the more predominant view as the stronger Gentiles looking down on the Jews for wanting to continue to hold on to their laws. And if we understand the section of what Paul's saying, we have to understand, like I said, weak in the faith doesn't mean they don't have big faith. It just means that they're weak in their conscience in regards to what their faith allows them to do. They, they, they are a little bit weaker and more strict about what they are, are or are not allowed to do. And they're not lesser or Christians that have lesser impact. They just think that their faith allows them to do less specific things than those that the strong feel like it's okay to do. And Paul's message and the bumper sticker for today is accept people who are different than you. Accept people who are different than you. That's what Paul says. That's the cure. You want to know how to engage conflict? Accept the people that are different than you. Accept them. Welcome them. This is the cure. Accept them if they differ from you over disputable matters. That's what Paul says. When it's something that's disputable that we could sit and debate and talk about, accept them. Paul doesn't want the strong people to just extend tolerance and go, well, I'll just put up with them. Well, I want them to be here. I think they're wrong, but I'm just going to put up with them. That's not what he's saying. Paul is saying extend acceptance, welcome them, receive them into your group. What are the disputable matters? 
Paul is not saying, and I want to be clear, that there are not things that we draw a hard line on. That is not the message. He's not saying that everything is disputable or that nothing is worth fighting for. What he's saying is that we accept each other regardless of the belief or practice when it comes to things that are disputable. There are false beliefs. There are false practices, things that we should reject as followers of Jesus. But Paul's making the the point when it comes to these disputable things, these should not be the basis of our acceptance. Whether or not we accept someone, what are some of these things? They're, They're the matters that the Bible doesn't actually talk about specifically. These are the matters that don't have anything to do with our salvation. I don't know your upbringing. I don't know your background. But I'm telling you, that whether you use a guitar or not in worship is not a basis for salvation. Whether we have a carpeted worship center or a cement worship center is not a basis for salvation. Whether we use dimmable lights or bright lights is not a basis for salvation. Whether we drink coffee or not, whether we wear ties or not, whether we wear dresses, I mean, do I need to keep going? Like, those things do not affect our salvation. And Paul is saying, when it's a disputable matter, accept one another. Amen? Paul identifies one of these things that was specific to them, was whether or not they could eat meat. Paul distinguishes between those who eat meat and those who only ate vegetables. And Paul says, both of you need to change your attitude. We don't look down on others, and we don't judge others. If God has accepted someone, then who are we to reject them? How can we reject somebody from being a part of our group that God has accepted? Like, what gives us the right to reject somebody that God has died for? Paul continues, verses 4 through 9. Who are you, he says, to judge somebody else's servant to their own master? Servants stand or they fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another one considers every day the same. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord, and they give thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So so whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, in verse 9, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul asks, the question, who are you? Who am I to judge someone else's servant? We are servants of Jesus. I don't get to judge the master, Jesus's children. Paul is saying, who do you think you are? Who died and made you the boss? By condemning other people, we are claiming that we're their master. You just need to listen to me and do what I think. But really, they belong to Jesus. And the Christian has one master, and that is Jesus. So Christ is our master. He's our judge, and we stand or fall, according to Paul, on Jesus. And so because of this, our one concern is not what the servants and children of the master are doing, but what we are doing to please our master, Jesus. 
And so after clarifying the issue of who the judge is, Paul says and addresses another dispute. He touches on the meat debate. But then he goes and moves on to the matter of certain days being more sacred than others. And for the Jewish people, this was likely to include their holy days, their festivals, the Sabbath, things like that that the Jews held high regard for. Paul doesn't specifically name the days, but instead he challenges everybody to be convinced in their own mind. He gives them the right to follow their own conscience, to make their own decision. And since each one of us is trying to please Jesus, who are we to judge or tell them how to please him? Paul's telling the Romans that they might differ over specific practices, whether it's special days, whether it's eating meat. And he says, if you feel like you should observe this day, then do it as unto Jesus. That's what Paul says. But if you don't have that conviction, then don't. But do it for Jesus. Whether it's meat or a special day, recognizing that sincerity and our motivation is what matters to the master. Paul points out that we need to have a right understanding of our relationship with Jesus, meaning that we understand we belong to Jesus and that Jesus expects us to obey him. Jesus died on the cross, was raised to life to be the Lord of each one of us, and if we have accepted him as our Lord, then we do everything for him and for him alone. I do not preach for you. I preach for Jesus. And I do what Jesus asks me to do. You do not teach for the kids. You teach for Jesus, and you should obey him in everything you do. You don't change tires or pump gas for the people in need of gas. You do it for Jesus, and I beg and implore that you do what he asks you to do. If he asks you to give someone free food, do it. He may not ask me to do it, but don't judge me if I don't give someone free food. Does it make sense? Because Jesus didn't ask me to do that. Because we all serve him, we don't serve each other. And that's what Paul's getting at, is that we accept Christ and we accept each other. The Roman Christians and Christians today can't presume to dictate what your, each other's behavior should be like. I don't presume to say to you what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, and what days you should, should observe, and how you should celebrate, whether you should celebrate Halloween or not. That's not for me to tell you whether you should eat meat or not. It's not for me to tell you, because Jesus is your Lord, and only God has the right to tell you what to do. Paul concludes by asking two questions that are rhetorical to the believers in Rome in verses 10 through 12. Let's take a look at these questions. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? We will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. One day, every knee will bow before God, not before your parents, not before your teachers, not before your coaches, not before your preachers, not before your spouse or your children. You will stand before God. And Paul corrects them both. He corrects the weak who are judging these people for living what they think is licentious, free, crazy stuff kind of living in their mind from what their upbringing was. He condemns them and says, don't judge them. 
And he tells the, the ones who think it's okay to do all that to not look down on these people. His conclusion is that God is the one who's the judge. We're going to appear before him. He is sovereign. He will be the one that we give an account to. So there's no need for us to set up our own little podiums and have our own little judgment seats here where we judge each other because God can handle it, right? God can handle the judgment. Our role is to accept those who Jesus died for. And so we begin to apply these principles to our life in our own culture, in our own world. And we begin by acknowledging that life contains some things that are cut and dry. There are a lot of things, when you read the Word of God, there are a lot of things that are crystal clear. They're not disputable matters. Jesus is the only way to heaven. That is not a disputable matter. That is not open for debate. Right? Jesus Christ is king. But the color of carpet, the length of my beard, the amount of tattoos that someone has, those are things that might be more disputable when it comes to Scripture. Many people might call these gray areas uh, where it would be easier if God just said exactly what we had to do all the time, but he doesn't do that. And so life presents us with a lot of things that are kind of up in the air. And as Christians, we want to do what's right, and we want to honor God, and we want to do what the Bible tells us to do. But there are a lot of things that the Bible doesn't address. The Bible doesn't tell us what to have for breakfast. The Bible doesn't tell us whether we should go to a public school, private school, Christian school, home school. It doesn't tell us. And so if someone chooses this school because they feel like that's what God asked them to do, that's the right thing for them to do, amen? There are some things that we just don't know if there's an exact right or wrong, and it complicates things, and many of us live convinced that our way is right and that everybody else is wrong. And Paul says, accept one another. I read an example about somebody from a church who bought a membership to a club. It was like a country club. And um, the reason that they did this was by being a member at this place, it gave them access to a swimming pool. If they were a member, they could swim there, take their family swimming there whenever they wanted. And also the bigger reason was they had a restaurant there that if you were a club member, you got these really great deals at lunch. And so they're like, well, I can go over there for lunch with my family. I can take my friends. We can get great deals on food. And he encountered a church member who told him that that is not a good place for him to belong. The dilemma was that that same venue was used at other times for inappropriate live entertainment. For, for music that didn't honor God. There was drinking that took place there. There was dancing that took place there. And there was this big dispute. And the question was, should he ever be in the same room where something else inappropriate happened? And that was the tension. And I, I could sit here and say, what do you think? Should he have joined the club? Right? Should he have joined the club? I mean, we, we could talk about this and debate this and, and ask it. We all face these moral dilemmas. And we find out that a company that we buy clothes from uh, uses children for a, a ridiculous amount of uh, a low payment to help make their product, and we're buying the product, so we're supporting this. One of you says, well, we shouldn't support it. Someone else says, it's a $1 shirt. I need a shirt, right? Who's right and who's wrong? That's the dilemma that we face. Many of you might think this guy should not become a member. Just because you can swim, just because you can get a good deal on food, you should never walk in there because they have dancing in there. Some of you think that. 
We all face these decisions. And for many people, for many things, the Bible gives us clear examples. Here, let me give you one. The Bible says that you shouldn't murder somebody. Um, you don't have to pray about that. Just in case you're wondering. Like, you don't have to go home today and go, I'm really mad at my boss. Should I kill him? I'm telling you. No. Don't kill him. Okay? Bad idea. But the Bible doesn't give us clear commands for every single decision you're going to make even today. Good Christians can disagree. Listen, good Bible-believing Christians can disagree about what might be right or what might be wrong in specific situations. Some might feel really strongly about an opinion. Other people might judge you based on the decision that you make. Should you go see this movie? Should you go to this dance? Should you listen to this band? Should you drink in moderation? Should you go to work on a Sunday? Are you allowed to have a big fancy house? Are you allowed to drive really expensive cars? Should you wear a suit and tie to church? Are women allowed to wear pants? Can we have tattoos? You guys see where this is going? These are all things that would, like good, incredible, Bible-believing Christians disagree on. And when Paul says disputable manners, disputable matters, this is what he's talking about. And so I'm going to take the back door here uh, so I don't have to tell you what's right. I'm going to tell you what Paul said because he's smarter than me. Um, Paul gives us four things to help us navigate conflicts when it comes to disputable matters. So put one of these in your mind. Maybe think of the one that you have the hardest time with. Okay? I know for my dad, and I love him, uh, and he's incredible, and I'm half the person I am because of him, uh, he just never could really wrap his mind around tattoos. Like, he just didn't get it. Um, he had friends that had him. He just didn't get it. What's the one that you just go, oh, that's not okay. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. Think about it. Here's what Paul says, four things. First of all, we welcome each other as God has welcomed us. Is there any one of us that had to get our act together before we went to the cross? No. The Bible tells us while we were sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. In the middle of our mess, in the middle of our filthy rags, if you want to do a fun study, look up what Paul meant when he talked about filthy rags. It's gross. We have kids in here. I'm going to hold my tongue for once in my life. But it's pretty funny. That's what the Bible says we were before Jesus. Nasty rags. Dirty people. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He welcomed us as his own children. And so we welcome other people. Amen? And this faith family is going to be known as the most welcoming faith family in this county. Because that's what Paul tells us to do. Does not tell us that we have to agree with everyone. He says that we accept one another. The second thing he says is that we never look down on or judge each other. Now I'm saying never. We are going to make strong statements and we are going to say some things are wrong, some things are not okay. We need, to, uh, we need to do some things this way. That's not what the point is. He's talking about, again, disputable matters. We are going to never, ever judge someone else. Never. If someone walks in here with uh, alcohol on their breath, we will walk them in and we will sit with them. Amen? If someone comes in here, because we were all there, were we not? 
We were all there. We all needed somebody to welcome us when we were dead in our sin. And so no matter who walks through these doors, they are welcome, and we will not look down or judge them. We will walk with them. We will encourage them. We will help them. We will pray for them. We will read the word with them, and we hope that they will repent, and we hope that they will confess Christ as king, and we hope that they will get baptized and get saved and find Jesus, but we will welcome them, and we will not judge them. We already have a judge. Number three leads us to we will let God be the judge. One of my most favorite things is that the Bible calls Jesus the judge. He also calls him the jury. Like, that's a pretty sweet court hearing, right? Like, imagine having a crime and going in and knowing that the one who's going to judge you is also the one who's going to defend you. That's what Jesus did for us. The one who has every right to condemn us to eternal damnation and separation from the Father is the very one who is going to stand up and say, he belongs to me. Let's let God handle judgment. And finally, four, let's seek to please the Lord. In all that we do, we seek to please him. We do. We seek to do what he wants. If, if, if I think about doing something, I don't worry about what someone else here is going to think. I worry about what God is going to think. And my number one priority, my number one goal is to make sure I'm obeying and trying my best to please Jesus. You're going to have haters. What do the young kids say? Like, haters going to hate? I don't know. What's the... Right? I mean, you're always going to have haters. You're always going to have hate mail. When you follow Jesus, there's a target on your back, not just for the enemy, but for the world, saying, oh, look at those hypocrites. Look at the, what they're, they're not any more unified than we are. And so we welcome each other as God has welcomed us. We don't look down on each other. We don't judge each other. We let God handle that, and we seek to please one person, and that's our master, that's our king, that's our Lord, Jesus. So let's, each of us, examine ourselves today. Who have we been looking down on? Who have we been condemning? Maybe it's people in a certain political party. Maybe it's people in a certain uh, lifestyle affiliation. Maybe it's certain celebrities that we've been judging and condemning. It may be someone in this room that we've been looking down on or condemning or judging. Let's examine ourselves. Don't examine anyone else. That's not your business. Let God handle that, but examine ourselves today and see if we're doing anything that God does not want us to do or if we're not doing something that he wants us to do. Let's look at ourselves today. Is all that we're doing bringing glory and honor to God or is it causing frustration and division among his children? It might be how we spend our money. You might be thinking about the ways you spend your money. It might have to do with some of the things that you choose to do for fun. It might have to do with your occupation. We all as Christians have Christ as king, and we all have to stand before him, and none of us wants to displease him. So let's be a welcoming church. Let's be believers who don't look down and judge each other. Let's let God do that, and then finally let's seek to please him, but accept one another. This message from Paul is not really about following Jesus. It's more about how we treat each other. But I want to be clear how we can follow him. Because if you're not a believer, then some of this doesn't make any sense to you. And in fact, if you're not a believer, you probably practice this better than we do. Because I have some friends who don't follow God. They welcome everybody. They don't judge anybody. Right? 
but they're not seeking to please God. And that's ultimately what matters the most, amen, is their personal walk with Jesus. So I want to be clear today that Jesus Christ is the only way for us to spend eternity with God the Father. Jesus came to earth to die for our sins, my sins, to pay a penalty that I deserved. I deserved the wages of my, my efforts are death, is what Romans tells us. We read it earlier. The, what I've earned from the work that I've done is death and separation from God. But Jesus came to pay that penalty, amen? That's good news. Through Jesus, we have access to this grace. We can be covered by the righteousness of Jesus. But each of us has to receive this gift by being born again, as Paul says, expressing our faith and our repentance and baptism. This is how we begin our relationship with Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And some of you sitting here today have never expressed your faith and your repentance in water baptism. And that's your next step to begin your walk with Jesus. We confess Christ as King, that he is Lord, and we say we aren't going to judge anymore. We're going to welcome people because the same judgment that I pass on others could be used against me. And so if you've never made that decision, today is a great day to choose to surrender to Jesus, to give your life to him. And after our service today, I would love to stay and talk to any of you. Any of our staff would love to talk to any of you. But for those of us who are believers, listen, I, I recognize that this is, is tense because even as I'm saying this, there are things that I struggle with and wrestle with, and I want to say, like, yeah, but I don't think we should do that. Like, I mean, even as I'm saying what I, God's told me to say to you, my, the, de- the, the little devil on my shoulder is like, well, but, but don't I get to decide what the disputable matters are? Like, I get to decide that, right? Like, that is a, a disputable matter, but this isn't. Like, this one does matter. Um, and, and so we really do, as believers, need to practice confession and repentance. Uh, for where we might be judging people on things that have nothing to do with our salvation. Um, I remember when I was younger, I used to be really judgmental about people who were, like, would say they were Christians. Like, I would call them Christian celebrities. Like, they would drive really nice cars, right? And I'm like, wait a second. You're going to talk about giving and generosity, and you're going to roll up in your BMW, right? And... um, I used to think, like, how can you be a Christian and be rich, right? But then I met some of those people. There's not more generous people than I've ever met. I mean, like, there are people that give amounts of money away that I'll never make, right? And the things that they do for other people are so incredible. And I realized that was God saying, you're not the judge. Because there are people that have really nice cars that are going to go to hell, and there are people that are poor that are going to go to hell. So welcome everybody, accept them, and share the truth of Jesus with them. And let's let God handle the judgment, but let's be known for the way that we welcome people and love people, ultimately seeking for the glory of Jesus, not the glory of ourselves. Amen.